All right. You have a Bible. Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 tonight. The message is entitled, The Gifted Men Given to the Church. In the world are always individuals in the whole of humanity, really. It always has a sense of pride in terms of position or office that a person holds. Be it uh, at work or among our peers for two reasons. Because of our personal achievements and secondly, because of our personal expertise. We seem to have a little bit more than others in terms of talent, ability, or education, or something. But in Christ, there's no room for pride or self-glory because all that we ever receive or accomplish is given to us by Jesus Christ. So we have the unity of, this, of the believer in the body of the church that Paul has been dealing with from verse 1 of chapter 4, and it goes all the way down to chapter 32. In verse 1 through 6, our walk is to be in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, and seven reasons for our common ground of unity was given to us, the first six verses. Then our walk in unity is magnified through diversity by the grace given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift for the complementing effectiveness in the body in verse 7. All of us have distinct gifts. All of us are called to certain things. And we all fit just as the hands, the arms, the ears, everything together comprise the body of Christ. And then in verse 8 through 10, our walk in unity is enhanced by the spiritual gifts Jesus gave to men after the resurrection Indirectly related to the gifted men that now we're going to look at in verse 11, made possible as Jesus descended into Hades, then ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And then as we get through with 11 tonight, verse 11 through 16, we will see that our walk is to have growth, development, and maturity to edify the body in love. And then 17 through 32, we'll see that we are to put on the new man and reckon the old man dead. And so the unity of the body of Christ, all laid out for us here. So Paul, the apostle now, names four gifted groups of men, spiritually endowed for effective service that Jesus gave as a gift to the church for the spiritual benefit of the body of Jesus Christ right here in verse 11. Listen to what he says. He says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Jesus first gave some to be apostles. This is first on the list. It doesn't mean that it's the first in priority or order. I don't think he's giving us a priority here. The word apostles um, appears 81 times in the New Testament. It's translated apostle 78 times, messenger two times, and he that is sent one time. The basic meaning is one that is sent out. The person sent is representing the one who sends him. And notice all four are in the plural. The person is sent with vested authority to speak in the name of the one who sends him out. The identity, notice of the one responsible for these apostles is clearly stated. You can't miss it. The two personal pronouns, he and himself, refer back to Jesus that has been the subject in verses 8 to 10. The same one who ascended on high, led captivity captive, gave gifts to men after descending down to Hades to preach to those waiting for Jesus and again ascended up above all the heavens that he might fill all things, verse 8 and 10. He's the same one. 
Jesus, notice, gave some to be apostles. The word gave simply means to be granted, bestowed, or imparted upon. It's the same one as in verse 8. The gifted men, as apostles, notice, were given to the church by Jesus to be sent out with authority to preach the gospel and establish doctrine for the people to continue in as Acts 2, 14 through 40 tells us, and in verse 42. They were the authority of the first century church. No gift is primarily for the benefit of the individual. All the gifts and the gifted men here given to the church are for the benefit of other believers and the whole of the church. This hand has never served itself in the 42 years that I've known it. 42, I'm not. 42 in the Lord. 65. It's always served the other parts of the body. The foot serves the rest of the body. It's not for the individual person. Apostles oversaw and directed the church. Remember in Acts 15? The first council of the church. Church council. They established churches. Acts 13 to 14, 16 to 17. Paul the Apostle established churches. They are said to be the foundation of the church in Ephesians 2.20 that we saw earlier. As we began our study of Ephesians. The foundation of the church. So. There are three lists regarding the gifts of the spirit as you know. The list in Romans does not mention apostles. Romans 12, 3 through 8. The list in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 does mention apostles. It says, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. And then here in our text, apostles. Now notice the Apostle Paul declared this knowing there was a distinction in apostles. He doesn't mention it, but he was very aware of it. There were the 12 apostles, of course, which were the first. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. Jesus, um, after an entire night in prayer, shows 12 apostles, beginning with Peter, the impetuous, impulsive, and a proud individual that tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. <laughs> you had James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, who first wanted the first seats, the right and the left hand in the kingdom. You had Matthew, a tax collector, who was a betrayer and a traitor to his people, the Jews. Simon the Zealot, who would vow to kill anyone who ever tried to rule over Israel. You had Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Jesus Christ. Thomas, who would not believe the Lord until he put his hands, his fingers in the wounds. And there are about five others that are listed there. They first were disciples, then they became apostles. Now, Jesus had many disciples. Disciple simply means a student. An apostle is one who sent out. Now, there were also the 11 that were given the Great Commission. They were reduced from the 12 to the 11 before Jesus left. Matthew 8, or Matthew 28, 16 through 20, we have the Great Commission. Uh, in verse 16, or not the Great Commission, but uh, there in verse 16 to 20, in obedience, the 11 disciples went to Galilee uh, to a mountain where Jesus had appointed for them, it tells us. And in verse 17, in response, they saw Jesus and they worshipped him. But some doubted, it says. In verse 19 and 20, the commission was this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. 19 and 20. So, 
These were the eleven that Jesus commanded and imparted this authority. There were also certain requirements to be one of the twelve apostles, as you know, in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. First, to be with Jesus from the time of John's baptism. Second, to have witnessed Jesus after the resurrection. Two requirements to be one of the twelve apostles. Now, Matthews, not Matthew, but Matthias, he replaced Judas Iscariot, Acts one twenty six tells us. Now, some people object to that and say that Paul was a 12 and Matthias was a mistake because it was by Lot's Old Testament. I reject it. You know why? Because in Acts 6.2, it says, and the 12 were brought forth. Matthias was the 12. <laughs> the scripture is the authority. Paul was not the 12 apostle. Never declared it. Never said it. Never pulled that card at all. He never saw, or he was never with Jesus from the baptism of John. He did see him resurrected, but he wasn't at the baptism of John. And Acts 6, 2 tells us that Matthias was accepted and was the 12th apostle. Now, there were still other apostles sent by Jesus apart from the 12. You have Barnabas. In Acts 14, 4 and 14, an apostle. Andronicus and Junia in Romans 16, 7. James in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And Paul again, a distinct apostle from the 12. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9, 1, it says, I am, am I not an apostle? Am I not uh, free? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work of the Lord? And he's telling the Corinthians, of course, he's an apostle. 1 Corinthians 59 says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul always felt that. That he, was, he wasn't the least in any of them, but he felt worthless and not sufficient enough because he killed Christians. He persecuted the church. In Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ, the God and Father who raised him from the dead. Galatians 1.1. Jesus disciple Paul for three years in Arabia. Then they tried to kill him and he went down a basket and skedaddled over to Jerusalem. Met with James and Peter and began to preach. He got too hot to handle. Jews wanted to kill him. Sent him an R and R for about seven to nine years up to Tarsus. Until the church got started in Antioch and then Barnabas went looking for him. And he taught there with teachers and apostles. 2 Timothy 1.11 says, To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. He calls himself the apostle of the Gentiles. A teacher of the Gentiles. One born out of due season, like an abortion. In fact, if you examine Paul's letters, his epistles, nine of the epistles he opens up in the first verse, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and sometimes by the will of God. That's in Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. All of them. An apostle. So an apostle is like an ambassador, one who represents a government. When a government sends an ambassador over, then when he speaks, he is speaking for that nation. When he does something foolish, it is the nation who suffers the shame and the consequences. This is an apostle. We, um, as we'll see, are in, to an extent apostles sent down, and therefore what we say, what we do, um, we represent heaven, and people have an interpretation, understanding about heaven, about our Lord, by what we do and what we say. Therefore, it's a high privilege to be an ambassador with an awesome responsibility and accountability. Many today are claiming the title of apostle. At times, they do so to claim for themselves some special or absolute authority like the 12. Yet, um, there is no more apostles today in the true sense of the 12. But people love to have prestige and have people bow to them. At other times, they claim the title to impress and present themselves before people that they might be looked up to. 
um, people sometimes take the title of uh, bishops or of, um, of um, reverend, um, apostle. We'll see prophets also. Today there's people claim to be prophets. And they want you to address them that way. Listen to um, Mark ten forty two uh, to forty five. Says, but Jesus called them to Himself, speaking to His disciples, and said to them, "You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all." For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but the servant to give his life a ransom for many. You remember James and John there asked for the right hand and the left hand. And the ten found out about what the two asked, and they got ticked off with the two. And it was only because the two beat the ten to it. That's all. None of them were servants, not till after the resurrection. They wanted to rule. The Great Commission was a command to the apostles, not a suggestion. Five times the Great Commission is recorded. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Mark 16, 15 through 18. Luke 23, 46 through 48. Then the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 18. And chapter 20, verse 21 through 23. Then the last one in Acts 1, 8. Five times the Great Commission is given. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that they that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. When Jesus left, then persecution came and they went all over. All of the apostles died. Horrible deaths, except for John. He was the last who wrote the book of Revelation. If I had to equate the, a person in the office for today, the closest equivalent would probably be a modern-day missionary, one sent out. But in a way, all of us are apostles sent out by Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. He says, as my Father has sent me, I also send you in John twenty twenty one. So, if we are disciples of Jesus, then we are sent out to minister the gospel, the Great Commission. Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, and though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, our heart is to see people get saved. Our heart is that our family members would get saved, that they would repent, our friends. But once we're saved, they kind of just think we're crazy or something. And there's a great divide once you're born again. You can be the tightest with somebody. You can just be through blood and guts with them. And all of a sudden you're born again. And you love them even more now and are more concerned about them. But there is a divide. And it says night and day you've got nothing in common. I can't talk to you about what you did last night because I already know what you did. And I don't want to hear it. And you either know that I don't want to hear it, so you don't talk about it, or you want to get my goat and you tell me what you did to try to provoke me. One of the two. But your life changes night and day. Jesus gave some to be apostles to the church. Second. Jesus gave some to be prophets. The Apostle Paul, notice, declares second on the list here, the office of prophets. And the word prophet is made up of two words. Once again, in the plural, pro, before, and feme, to make known or declare. The compound word, in its most basic understanding, means to speak or declare something beforehand. The word prophet and prophets, plural, appears throughout the entire Bible. 
159 times in the singular and 139 in the plural in the Old Testament. 87 times in the plural in the Old Testament and 69 times in the New Testament. Now, the first prophet mentioned in Scripture is Abraham. Remember, he prayed for Abimelech, king of Gerar, to heal the women that were barren because he had taken Sarah into his harem and God stopped him from touching her. That's the first mention of prophet, Genesis 20, verse 7. The last prophet mentioned is Revelation 20, verse 10. It's the false prophet who is the PR man for the Antichrist. Now, the Apostle Paul here understood the problems of the, or the prophets of the Old Testament, that um, they served a twofold function as the instrument of God. The primary function of a biblical prophet in the Old Testament, as well as the New, was to speak forth the Word of God, being divine revelation directly from God, inerrant, infallible, forth telling, speaking forth the word, okay? Speaking forth, just declaring God's word. They were the mouthpiece of God to speak forth the mind and the will of God. The purpose was to call the people of God often to repentance that they might return to God. The misnomer is to think that the primary function of the prophet was to predict future things. It is not. The first thing is to speak forth God's word. Secondly, it's to predict future things in advance. Divine revelation. Foretelling. So speaking forth is foretelling. Predicting is foretelling beforehand. So one is just the word of God spoken, the other one is predictive. But the primary function, the greater exercise was the foretelling, just the word, not predictive. That was the exception. There are more words that the prophets declared to the people than predictive, okay? So that's the function. Usually we think about it backwards. And so they received divine revelation from God to reveal to the people of God um, warnings from God. And they warned the people. They revealed future judgments. They revealed um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They revealed future restoration to captivity as we've seen. Hosea, Joel, Amos, even Isaiah, Jeremiah also. Things that there's no way they themselves could know. The prophets usually were of the common people, as you know, but not always. Amos was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit, Amos 7.14 tells us. And he's fresh in our mind because we've just studied them. God told Elijah to anoint Elisha as his replacement of a prophet in 1 Kings 19.16. He was of the common. In fact, he was a farmer. Ezekiel was of the priestly line called to be a prophet by God as he was carried into captivity, the captivity of Babylon, Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 3 and chapter 2 verse 1 through 5. He was raised to be a priest and trained to be a priest, but he never got to officiate as a priest because they were taken to captivity. So then God called him to be a prophet to the people. Daniel's in the palace, Ezekiel's with the people. And God takes him in the spirit and gives him a virtual reality tour of the temple that he never got into. <laughs> to show all the corruption of all the corrupt people of Israel and Judah and the false prophets. Now the Apostle Paul understood New Testament prophets to exercise the same two functions that we've just mentioned as the Old Testament, but in a more limited way. 
He gave revelation, God gave revelation. Listen, we've seen it in chapter 3, verse 5. It says, the mystery of gentle, of the Gentiles was revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles and the prophets. So, they received revelation, Paul the apostle and others, just like the Old Testament prophets. Paul was a prophet, okay? Acts 13, 1 says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who were called, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been um, brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you see some of these offices and gifted men there in the church. Judas and Silas in Acts 15.32 spoke forth being prophets and exhorted the brethren with many words and strengthened them when they received the letter from Jerusalem about the Gentiles not having to be circumcised or having to keep the law to be saved, but being saved by grace alone. And it tells they were prophets exhorting them. Acts 11.20, the prophet Agabus, you remember, foretold of the great famine throughout the world, which um, also happened in the days of Claudius, Acts 11.20. He predicted that famine. Hit it right on the nose. Inerrant. Infallible. The prophet Agabus again warned about Paul's future peril in Acts 21, 10 and 11. Listen. He says, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come up to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit. Wow. Pretty bold, huh? Inerrant. Infallible. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Philip the Evangelist is said to have had four virgin daughters who prophesied, Acts 21, 6. John wrote the book of Revelation, the only prophetic book of the future. No other. Paul is speaking of prophets in the context of the church. For spiritual growth, development, maturity of the saints to the full stature of Christ that we're going to pick up from verse 12 down to 16. You see, the gifted prophets were divinely endowed and bestowed by Jesus, again, indicated by the words gave a gift to the church to speak with vested authority for the good and the benefit of the church. The gifted person again and the gift are always for the benefit of the church, not the individual. Doesn't mean they don't receive a benefit themselves, but it's not for them themselves. My gift of teaching as a pastor teacher will correlate this one gift. I learn a lot and I grow a lot, but primarily my gift is for you. To benefit you. And your gift is to benefit the body. You will benefit and receive certain things from the Lord as you exercise it, but it's not for you, it's for others. Usually we're interested in what does that do for me and it's for me. No. And when people see that, then they take their gifts, especially their flashy gifts of tongues, interpretation or prophecies like that, and they'll want to be on display. To give the impression that they're spiritual. Well, listen carefully. You can have all the gifts of the Spirit and be 100% beef carnal. Because gifts are no credentials for spirituality. Want my proof text? The Church of Corinth. (laughs) Absolutely the Church of Corinth. They're just gifts by the grace of God for the benefit of others. In spite of you. In spite of me. Wow. So the prophets in our text would be speaking forth the word of God as a preacher or teacher. But not inerrant or infallible any more than when I teach. 
So this is one way the gift of prophecy is fulfilled now in the church. Speaking forth the word of God. By teaching or preaching. You see? Not predictive, but speaking forth. But I don't speak infallible. In fact, you, you, I'll, I'll say Paul when I should have said Peter. Uh, I'll give you a, 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 a scripture that's wrong. Not only in verse, maybe in chapter. The other way prophecy is exercised is by God directly speaking to you personally to encourage you, to direct you, even predict for you what he will do. Again, the responsibility falls on you. If you tell me that God told you, I'm not going to argue with you unless it's clearly unbiblical. But if you tell me God told you something that's within the confines of scripture, then Okay, we'll wait and see whether you're a false prophet or not. (laughs) You see? The caution is this. There's a great abuse in charismatic circles with this gift where people will say, Thus says the Lord told me that you're to marry me. Do you know how many stupid young women or older women or men have done this because they're not grounded in the word of God. And they are sincere. They love the Lord. They want to be in God's will. And they just feel those persons are more spiritual than them. And they go ahead and do something because they said it. When somebody tells you that, first of all, then you jot it down. If it's within the confines of scripture, jot it down. Put the date, put the time and say, okay. If that's really God who spoke to that person, then God will bring it to pass. You don't go out try to fulfill it. How often people have heard, you know, thus saith the Lord, the Lord told me you're to go to Africa. Go sell it, and people sell stuff and they go. It happens all the time. Then they get out there and they lose everything and things happen and then they come back. Well, if God is going to send you to Africa, God will open the doors, he'll confirm it, he'll speak to you, he'll confirm it with you. If God doesn't confirm it, Let it go. Simple. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Through the word of God. This can also come, as I said, from a person. And when they do speak forth, then we take it by faith. But... We wait for God to fulfill it. The 28th of May of 1977, Saturday at 12.05 a.m., God spoke to me out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. I've had written in my Bible. I was doing a study for 10 months at Highland Park, and I thought, it might be fulfilled that way that God was calling me out to Highland Park. That study turned into a Calvary Chapel and it's been around different places. But it wasn't until March 1980 God confirmed to me the fulfillment of that prophecy he gave to me. And it was at Alhambra three years later. I, when God, I believe God speaks to me, I write it down, put the time and the date, and I leave it there. If God is telling me about the future, then it's up to him to bring the future to come to pass, right? I don't go out and try to fulfill it. I wait for him to open the doors. I wait for him to speak to my heart and confirm it. I don't move because you tell me or someone tells me. or If Billy Graham would tell me, you know, go do this, I wouldn't go unless God told me. So we have to make sure that God speaks to me personally. God can confirm what God has spoken to you about through somebody else, but God's not going to tell somebody else before he tells you. He's not the author of confusion. You may have been spoken to by God and you're wrestling and you're refusing. Then he may get somebody to give you a word to confirm what God's been talking about. But when someone tells you something that God is going to do, it's never news. He knows where you live. 
He knows your social security number. He knows your cell number. And he has a personal relationship with you. Very important. Paul gave specific instructions, by the way, for prophets and all to judge what is declared in order that not, they not be deceived or allow confusion in the church. And there in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 33, it says, By one, by two, judge it by the word of God, all in order, for God is not the author of confusion, right? So you can judge what is being given as prophecy, whether it's biblical or not, whether it contradicts the word of God. And if somebody gives some predictive thing, fine, we'll jot it down and we'll find out if you're a true prophet or a false prophet. Don't ever say, thus saith the Lord, unless you want to step out on a limb. If you say, thus saith the Lord, we're going to jot that down. If you just want to give me a word of exhortation, uh, prophetically like that, and exhort me, I'll receive it. But you start predicting things, and we're going to put you to the test. All these guys with the blood moons, false prophets, and all the dummies that follow them. You're like the Y2K. Same thing. Nathan brought to David both the word of God and predictive future things. Both functions of the prophet. You are that man, David. You are that man who took that little lamb. You are the man who killed Uriah. You're the one that took Bathsheba. Nevertheless, your sin will be forgiven, but the child will die. And yet God is going to give the Messiah through your line. Wow. There are no uh, longer prophets that speak under the inspiration of the spirit inerrant or infallible, like those of the Old Testament or the New Testament prophetically. They just aren't today. And so the office of prophet has been modified to an extent, though we still see the prophets that spoke of predictive things in the New Testament. But after that, there's no predictive things of new revelation or new judgments or new books or that. There's not, it just isn't there. The prophets of old were carried along under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as you know, to ensure the absolute inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God in 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Um, they did not speak of their own impulse or origin. Therefore, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theopanistol, meaning God breathed literally, expired out from God. Uh, sufficient for everything you and I need as a Christian in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Everything. Exhortation and doctrine, correction, everything. The believer is to receive and verify all prophecy by preaching and teaching um, personal. I mean, everything has to be verified by the Word of God. Some take the title of prophets today uh, to themselves um, as having greater ultimate authority in the church and sometimes to lord over people, misusing and abusing the authority of their position in the church. This happens. Um, Paul um, says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Paul commanded the Thessalonians, Do not despise prophecies, plural. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. How do you test it? By the word of God. Does it add to the Word of God? Throw it out. Does it take away from the Word of God? Throw it out. Does it contradict the Word of God? Throw it out. Is it within the line of the Word of God? Then we'll take it and we'll wait upon it. Let's see if it's God. That's it. It's simple. Others take the title to lord over people, misusing their authority and position in the church. They just manipulate people. You know, They want people to serve them. They have people around like their little, uh, you know... Uh, church miles, you know, they just do everything for them. You're, you're not here to serve me or any of the pastors. We're here to serve you. And we're here to teach you and to pray for you and oversee that wisdom come in, as I will go on in the text and, and see that, uh, that God might use you and that you might just flourish in your life spiritually, that you depend upon the Lord, not upon us. That, that's, that's our goal. That's, that's our, our responsibility. Jesus said, uh, 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Matthew 7.15 There are people who are of this sort that come in every Sunday, every Sunday night, every midweek. Some may be here today just to see what's going on, who they can get over, whether it be financially or otherwise. They make the rounds from church to church. Many in the early church abused their office as prophets, and therefore it led to what's called the Dedeki, the teaching of the Twelve, around 100 A.D. Let me give you some of the things that they wrote about false prophets, okay? First, they could not abide more than two to three days. If they did, they were called false prophets because they were entitled and wanted to live off the church. Sounds kind of like relatives, huh? Second, if they declared a feast, they could attend it, but they couldn't eat of it. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord, fix a big banquet. Fine, great. We're going to have a great time. You can sit right there and watch us. If you eat, you're a false prophet. Whoa. If they ask for money, false prophets. Man, do you know what that does to the majority of people on radio? And TV? And the pulpits? I'm not against taking an offering. You know that. But I am against begging and pressuring and programs. If I would have given in to people suggesting programs and all kinds of fundraisers for this church and when we built the gym, who would have got all the glory? Not God. It would have been the people that gave the money. Jesus gave some to be prophets to the church. Notice thirdly. Jesus gave some to be evangelists. The Apostle Paul now declared third in the list, the office of evangelists. Evangelist simply means the bringer of good news. A herald of salvation through Christ. The word appears only three times in this form in the New Testament. Philip is called an evangelist in Acts 21.8. Paul told Philip, or Timothy, to do the work of an evangelist in 2 Timothy 4.5. The gift in the person, once again, is divinely endowed for the benefit of the church to reach the lost. Jesus gave some to be evangelists. Again, the word gave to be granted or bestowed. It's a gift to the church. For the benefit of the church, to bring sinners under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they might repent and accept Christ. The gift of evangelism is spectacular. It's incredible when you see it work. But too often people get their eyes on the man attributing the ability to the man. In fact, sometimes evangelists become so cocky that rather than preaching the word of God, they just get up and say, hey, I know you're here. You need to be saved. Come on right now. Now, God will still save them, but you're supposed to preach the word of God. That's arrogant. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we can take something that God gives to us and abuse it and think that we can just show it off. And I mean, look at me. Watch this. The evangelist is the first to know that he has been given the gift. That is not his own ability or talent. But as time goes on, pride causes him to take glory sometimes and abuses, misuses his gift. That potential is there for any gift, for any one of us. The pastor teacher, though he may not have the gift of evangelism, as Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist, but I do the work of an evangelist all the time. At the end of my sermon, I turn it around. I always, I never give a sermon without an altar call. And 
you know, there's other guys that are evangelists around. They do, they, they got the gift of evangelism, but I don't. But I do the work of an evangelist, and God honors that. God will take care of it, you know. Um, I give an altar call, and nobody comes up. I give another altar call, and maybe one will come up. An evangelist gives an altar call, a thousand come up. How do I respond? Isn't God good? Because God's the one that's doing it. I don't look at the dumb man. It's God who does it. Notice the Apostle Paul was very familiar with many who had the gift of evangelism. Philip is the only one called an evangelist, but it doesn't mean he was the only evangelist. Uh, John the Baptist preached the gospel of the kingdom of God in Matthew 3, 1 and 2. Great evangelist. He broke open the 400-year silence. The kingdom of God's at hand. Jesus, what do we say about Jesus? All the gospels, Matthew through John, what a great evangelist. <laughs> Incredible. Nothing more perfect than Jesus. Peter preached Pentecost. 3,000 were out to the church in Acts 2. Wow. He began as a deacon, by the way, in Acts 6.6. 6. Be faithful in the day of small things. Don't despise the day of small things. The angel of the Lord told Philip to go down to, towards Gaza. And he found the Ethiopian there, reading Isaiah. And he began to expound from Isaiah about Jesus. And he repented, accepted Christ. He was baptized in Acts 8.26-38. The Spirit of God translated Philip to Azotus, remember? And then he went to preach unto others. He passed through all the cities till he came to Caesarea in Acts 8 and 40. So even though Philip was called from Samaria, there was a big revival going on. And God doing, he, he obeyed to go down for that one man, preach to him. He got saved, baptized him. The Spirit of God raptured him to Azotus, and then he, when he hit the ground, he just kept preaching all the way to Caesarea. He's an evangelist. Wow. Peter went to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. And the Gentiles had the nerve to get saved before he finished the sermon. And were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Paul preached the gospel to those in Damascus, the Jews in Jerusalem, Antioch, and the Gentiles through three missionary journeys. Wow. Galatians 1, Acts 13 through 28. You see the whole life of Paul there. Billy Graham. Franklin Graham. Evangelist. God has used tremendously. Incredible man. Now much of today's evangelism is filled with psychology and Relative culture, tragically. The appeal, the appeal is if a person wants a change of life from drugs and alcohol. Well, who doesn't? The appeal is based on emotions. The appeal is often based on the culture to get involved in community. To make society better. To give them a family sense of belonging. All of these have nothing to do with sin and salvation, but are the more or the mere symptoms of sin of being lost. Listen to Galatians 1.8. Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be a curse, anathema, the strongest word of damnation in the Greek. We, or even an angel, or anyone else, if they do not preach this gospel, today a social gospel is being preached, particularly in the emerging church. Not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can probably agree 85% of what they say. Let's just push it, 95%. My concern is that 5% of cyanide that's going to kill you. True evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel that declares specific things. 
Listen. That all people are lost in sin, dead in trespasses and sins, sons of disobedience, children of wrath by nature. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. That must be proclaimed. That the God of this world, Satan, has blinded them from the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. That the wrath of God is upon all sinners due to his or her fallen state and sins. Romans 1, 18. That God made provisions for the sinner... To be forgiven at the cross in the person of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. John 1.29 And that the sinner must agree with God about all these truths by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, repent from their sins by faith through grace, and be forgiven and be born again. John 3.3-5 and Ephesians 2.8-9 That's the gospel. So that a person knows exactly why it is that God can't have anything to do with any human being until they repent. Because we are an enemy of God. God is at war with us, just as we are at war with him before Christ Jesus. Because he's epitome of holiness and we're the epitome of sin. He's light, we're darkness. He's the creator. We're the fallen creature. Jesus said, you are my witnesses in Acts 1.8. Evangelism takes place in many ways, as you know. One-on-one evangelism is incredible. Some people have that. No matter where they go, they, they talk to two, three, four, five, eight people a day. They just have that gift. By a message after a concert, a play, or some presentation in the church. By an outreach of evangelism in certain areas, that like we do medical outreaches or something like that, you know, we preach Christ Jesus. And certainly by an appeal after a sermon, because you always have to assume that sinners are present. But evangelism is always to the unbeliever and where Christ has not been preached usually. Listen to Romans fifteen twenty, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Today, a group of people break off from a church and they move down the street and open the church. And they say God called them. Really? Okay. <laughs> Today, the majority of churches, um, they swap aquarium fish. That's what they do. There's no real true evangelism. We go to the streets to get people saved. We, we pass out flyers. We go out there. Okay? We don't pass out our flyers at other churches. Too many Christians just swap goldfish. <laughs> so Jesus gave some evangelists to the church. Notice, fourth and last, Jesus gave some to be pastors and teachers. Um, the Apostle Paul declared fourth on the list here, pastors. And we'll see as we go move on that they're, they're both one gift. The phrase pastor and teacher does not describe two separate positions or functions, but only one. A person can be called and given the gift of teaching without being called to be a pastor or shepherd. Okay? The gift of teaching is listed separately as one gift in Romans twelve seven, But a person called to be a shepherd will always be given the gift of teaching. It is impossible for a person to be called to be a shepherd and not be given the gift of teaching because as a pastor, you have to teach the people. If you as a pastor only evangelize, you're going to have anemic sheep. You're not feeding them. All these men are a composite to be in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. I don't think this is an exhaustive list because there's many other gifts that are available and that would fit in the body. For a pastor or shepherd has to feed the flock of God. Uh, in fact, and again, sometimes and, and elders... Are, are shepherds, and shepherds sometimes are elders. I'm a shepherd, I'm a pastor, but I'm also an elder. 
And Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So that's a pastor teacher. Or it could be an elder that's just a teacher and not called to be a pastor. Okay? The word pastor has the root meaning of to care or to protect. In the best translation, is just a shepherd. Uh, a shepherd was to watch for the enemies trying to attack the sheep. A shepherd was to defend the sheep from attackers. The shepherd was to heal the wounded and sick sheep. And a shepherd was to find and save lost and trapped sheep. That's what a shepherd does. David was a shepherd. The word pastor, poemen, to shepherd appears 18 times in the New Testament and is used in various ways in the scriptures. Jesus said he was the good shepherd in John 10, 11, and 14. All other shepherds are under shepherds. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not by dishonest gain, but earnestly, not as being lords over the entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock, First Peter 5, 2-3. They will be rewarded by Jesus, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. Remember that in John 21, 15 and 17? Three times Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. The word tender is the shepherd. A shepherd protects the sheep. Jesus said that he laid down his life for the sheep because he cares, not as a hireling who flees, John 10, 11 through 13. Paul warned the Ephesian elders about wolves, even among themselves, commending them to the word of God. Listen carefully. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourself, you men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves, Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day, with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Acts 20, 20 through 32. Last time you saw these guys. I know wolves are coming in, and some of you are going to become wolves. Wow. Jesus purchased the flock with his blood. The flock does not belong to any man. There are always idle false shepherds that feed themselves, not the sheep. Ezekiel 34 makes that very clear. And also Jesus in the Gospels. A shepherd prays for the sheep. You remember Samuel when they asked for a king? He thought they were rejecting him instead of God. In uh, 1 Samuel 12, 23, Samuel says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Shepherds, pray for the people. We don't know all of your needs, but we hold you up in prayer. God knows your needs. Only when God tells you not to pray, do you not pray. And he told Jeremiah three times, do not pray for these people anymore. If you pray for them, I'm not going to talk to you. Whoa. Peter says, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. 1 Peter 2, 25. pastor, a shepherd. But then, apostle declared, a shepherd is also a teacher. So it's a hyphenated gift. They go together. They're not two separate gifts. The word teacher just simply means instructor. The word appears 58 times as a noun form that we have here in the New Testament. The other forms of the word um, come um, teaching, taught, doctrine, and it appears 154 times in the New Testament. A whole bunch. The pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, contain 27 out of those 154. Doctrines all over there. Teachings all over there. Now people today say, let's not fight about doctrine. No, let's fight about doctrine. It's worth fighting about doctrine. 
Once we get done and we find out what real doctrine is, then we'll really be able to love one another. But if you reject doctrine, your love will become corrupted and perverted. Absolutely. Because flesh always comes up on top where there's no doctrine. There were teachers in Antioch, as we've seen in Acts 13.1, and prophets in the church. There were some that should have been teachers, and yet they still had need of milk, Hebrews 5.12 says. They didn't grow, they didn't develop. There's a lot of Christians like that too. They should be teaching by this time, but they still need to be taught. They're still sucking on milk. They're wetting their pants, they're scraping their knees. Got a big bottle, they have to go to the trunk to get it out. The teaching is to be regarding all the word of God. About creation, salvation, justification, redemption. About God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Satan, man, the world. About sin, rebellion, disobedience. About grace, repentance, forgiveness, holiness, prayer. Just to mention a few. We are told that teachers will have the greater judgment. James 3, 1. That there not be many teachers. To them will be the greater judgment or condemnation. Right? Jesus is the greatest example of a faithful pastor, teacher, a shepherd, caring and teaching the sheep. 100%. No one like him. He's our example. Not other men. Other men should be examples, but our example is Jesus. Everything in life. The shepherd must have the proper attitude and love for the people. A pastor teacher. Listen to Acts twenty nineteen. Serving the Lord, he says, Paul told the Ephesian elders, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Then he served the saints. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Acts twenty twenty. Then serving sinners, testifying to Jews and also the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ in Acts twenty twenty one. The shepherd must know that God blesses not because of him, but in spite of him. Listen carefully, first Corinthians four seven. For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you have not received? Now if you have indeed received it, why do you boast as if you had not received? Received it. Wow. Second Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Second Corinthians 3, 5 through 6. Jesus says, when you get done doing what you are to do, say this, I am an unprofitable servant. Well, that's the Lord speaking. Pastor teacher, like a father, is committed to the family of God day in, day out, ever present, feeding the flock. That's what God calls a man to do. I don't understand these pastors. They, they trade churches like they change shirts. The churches interview pastors. My Bible says that God calls and anoints and sends pastors and he raises churches up. We've made it a business. We run them like corporations. As a father providing teaching for the new converts, men, women, the youth, day in, day out, year after year. Providing teaching through the entire Bible in a expository method. So there's verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, Genesis to Revelation. Providing in-depth studies to strengthen, to mature the body. So they can grow. 
Paul put it this way, Acts 20, 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. My sight is going bad. Hopefully it'll get, get well. But if I lose my sight, I can tell you that I have given to you the whole counsel of God. In the years I have served you. And I've only got a few more notes to f- fix up and then everything's going to be on, on, on the website for Sunday night. And, 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 and that's the main thing that when we get to heaven, we hear from the Lord, well done, that good and faithful servant. That's the main thing. So as a, as a shepherd, you, 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 you stay here. I don't travel. I travel very little. I travel as the Lord opens up, stuff like that. But you're a shepherd, you're a shepherd. You're home. You cannot be a father and be a good husband if you're never home. Trouble comes. People move in. <laughs> Things get stolen. <laughs> Simple. Jesus asked Peter again three times, do you love me? Three times he said, feed my sheep, sheep, feed my lambs. Listen to what Paul put, declared to the Corinthians, and I've put that in my heart from the beginning when I knew God called me. Listen carefully. And it's not a put down to people, it's a reality of understanding people. Second Corinthians twelve fifteen, Paul said, the more I love you, the less I be loved. Now, you had to have been a parent to understand that statement. Because when you love your children the most, trying to protect them and prohibit them from certain things, they thought you were the worst parent. You were just ruining their life. The more I love you, the less I be loved. That's for shepherds. Absolutely for shepherds, for pastor teachers, and anybody who's in ministry. We're bad to the bone, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> God is good. Jesus gave some pastor teachers in the church. And so, these are the gifted men given to the church by Jesus for the spiritual benefit of the body of Christ. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers. Wow. Lord, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. Thank you for your word and your goodness and how good you are towards us, Lord. I thank you for every person here. I pray your hand be upon them. If you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you've been coming for a long time, but you've just never committed your life to the Lord. Or you say you're born again, but you're not walking with God. Or you've backslidden. I don't know. If you're not right with God, then you need to come back to God. If you don't know him, you need to repent from your sins. A simple prayer of repentance is what Jesus always requires. So if this is you, this is your prayer to him. And he will forgive you and he will make you his child right now by grace through faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your spirit. Give me a new heart, Lord. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.